Totally Football Show. Today, as Liverpool and Arsenal stage a Halloween special with 10 goals and loads of teenagers running excitedly around, we look back on the midweek tricks and treats from Man United's Rashford to Messi in the camp now. Plus, there's a big look forward to the weekend's drama. It's all coming up in the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. 31st of October, and if that date seemed important to you, here's why. We're joined by Duncan Alexander. Hello, Duncan. Hello, James. By Lindsay Hooper. Hello. 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 And for the first time in person, Anton Tolui out of Sky Sports. Hi, James. Transfer guru. Um, That's one way of putting it. Absolutely. Paid to talk about transfers is probably a more accurate way. Bingo. Last time we spoke to you, Anton, you were in Russia in perpetual daylight with Jamie Vardy. I was. Yeah, that's um, an interesting way of putting it. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yes, at the at the World Cup following England around from city to city. It was a it was a fantastic, wonderful, uh, shattering time. Pretty apt description for this midweek round of League Cup fixtures, fourth round, and one game stood out in particular, that incredible match at Anfield, Duncan. Mm. Mm. It so was much good. fun, no? Yeah. It was um it's kind of what you want. I think it was exactly seven years since Arsenal and Reading played out that 7-5. Um, and I've got a theory that this round of the League Cup is possibly the most entertaining week of the season, generally. What's your theory based on? Just nothing, basically. <laughs> but no, this is a competition that clubs don't care about well, this until is the thing. they do. No, no, so this is the thing with the League Cup. It, all the problems that people kind of um, say about the FA Cup, mm. have kind of. they used to say 10 years ago about the League Cup, but it's kind of recovered. And, you know, it seems to be pretty entertaining now. You've got... You know, the likes of Pep Guardiola who take it really seriously. I would argue that maybe Jurgen Klopp is not taking it that seriously. He didn't look delighted that Liverpool got through. Um, but yeah, it just seems to throw up really entertaining sort of midweek games. You get you get to see players you probably wouldn't see, you know, playing league matches. Um, yeah. So yeah, you got th- to see 10 goals, not one of them called back for VAR as well. No, and I think it really does influence the top teams when they're looking to their younger players in the squads at the moment because of the fact that teams like Chelsea have invested in a, in a lot of youth and we've seen um, all the discussions around Phil Foden at Manchester City, whether he'd get enough time. I think a lot of the young players that are then given that opportunity in the League Cup have upped their level another notch. So I think this year's been even more exciting from that point of view because they, they can see that they can actually get some proper minutes and potentially work their way into a starting lineup. There was, there was a jumpers for goalpost feel at Anfield, wasn't there, last night, though. You, know, you put the youngsters on and there was, you know, the, the big lad at the back scores a comedy own goal and the ones that can belt it from distance were belted it from distance really well and the young kids were running around a lot and it did feel a bit, you know, that's hence the excitement in the end-to-end action and then by the end of it, they were shattered and not a lot happened in the last 15 minutes until the very end when... It, you know, it all sort of changed Origi. again. Yeah, and then the, the the shooter. Yeah, Liverpool, impressive depth. None of their seven Ballon d'Or nominees were in the match they scored. They had four teenagers named in the starting eleven. pretty much all of whom had a major impact on the game. A big night for journalists frantically checking their Wikipedia page. Who's this Meza Ozil guy, for example? <laughs> Not sure, but he looks quite good. Um, you'd imagine he might get a run in the team now. I mean, I was loving Meza Ozil last night. It was just... He really took his chance, I thought. He was brilliant. He made his statement. And that assist, that is the best assist I've seen in the last decade, I think. I mean, Seriously. <laughs> honestly, I love it. It was so good. The way that not only did he manage to you know, back flick it, he mm. then, his momentum carried him to the advertising hoardings and he just sat on the hoardings <laughs> and applauded the goal as it went in. I mean, it was, I mean, that game, 
as Anton referenced there, it was the most FIFA-like game I've ever seen. You know, all the goals were sort of either smashed in from outside the box or little tricks uh, like Ozil did. So um, it was just purely entertaining. And right. Origi's bicycle kick. Yeah. Is this man superhuman, by the way? Like He just comes on 93rd, 94th minute, produces the spectacular. He will go down, won't he, in folklore now at Liverpool. You can just tell how much he means to them as a player. But I just don't understand how he always delivers <laughs> in, that, in those moments. I'm still not even sure he's that good. Yeah, but, I yeah, still but have he, question he's, marks yeah, exactly. But I mean, he's—you can't argue with his with his goal-scoring record in big games. It's very hard to be that kind of sub because most players obviously want to play a lot. But you do get, you know, your Solskjaer's, your David Fairclough's back in the day who, who kind of maybe did recognise that they weren't ever going to be the first choice striker and would rather be that kind of impact player at a massive clubs, you know, scoring in Champions League finals than a sort of first choice for a mid-table team. Mm. So one or two questions then for Emery going forward to the weekend. And further, does Ozil now, has he played his way back into the manager's thoughts? What about Martinelli, who's got this extraordinary run of, of scoring in midweek fixtures? Does he start to feature or they've got enough up top? I mean, Arsenal are playing Wolves this weekend. Yeah, and I will be at that one. I, I think Martinelli has to be managed slightly differently. Uh, Ozil, I would say, should be a shoo-in now to, to start. Do you think? Yeah, I mean, what, what more does he need to do? pretty confident he won't be back in yeah. the squad for this weekend. Well, Emery said he's now thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, but, but what, is that, what is that block? It, you know, there's certain things about Ozil as a player that aren't going to change, but what he did show is mm. what he brings. And the, and the one factor that I think Arsenal have been missing is that creative outlet, that player that can pick the pass, that cr- that player that can have that vision. And they haven't really had it. I've really been impressed as well by the way that Tin has been playing, but he's been qu- quite cautious with him too. So um, Martinelli, for me, doesn't stand a chance at the moment of making it into the first team unless it's as a substitute because right. Emery is still having these concerns over Tierney and, and bringing Ozil back. So yeah, and you got Lacazette and Pepe and, and yeah. Aubameyang. You met with Emery uh, recently, yeah. Anton. Yeah, was he a tremendously charismatic man? No, not at all. But, but, <laughs> the problem is when you go to interview, uh, we go to media conference with uh, Unai Emery. You don't get a lot, and I don't. And that's kind of tactical as yeah. well as just the language barrier because there's so much to pick apart with Arsenal. The, the slightest thing he says, we're all going to pounce on. We're all mm. going to analyse. So for me, I mean, we're talking about how good Urza was last night, but. You know, look at the Liverpool team. When, when those teams came out last night, I thought, regardless of this being at Anfield, Arsenal should win this. Liverpool had the likes of Williams, Vandenberg, Elliot, Brewster, Kelleher in their lineup, and Arsenal had a lot of youngsters. But their youngsters, you know, they've been playing in the Europa League. They played in the previous yeah. round of the Carabao Cup. They're more developed. You know, they're further down the line than these Liverpool youngsters. So Ozil should have run the show last night. If, if anything, for me, I don't think you necessarily learn too much about how good Mesut Ozil is because we all know what he can contribute. It's just maybe a little reminder to the to, to the manager that, hi, I'm, I'm still here, I can still do these things. Mm. But going back to what Lindsay was saying as well about the fullbacks, for me, that's going to be more important whether, than whether they integrate Ozil back into the team because we've seen, obviously, Liverpool, the most famous example of this. Tierney and Bellerin, if they can offer that kind of dynamism down the flanks, it means the players that are playing wide, like Pepe, like Lacazette, if he plays, like Tobias, but he has to drift wide, can come inside. And therefore, it means they've got more players in and around the box where they naturally should be to score goals, which was the problem at Sheffield United the other week. I was sat in the Wonder Cafe. Do you know the, the one right opposite Arsenal Stadium? Of course, members of staff come in there, coaching staff, and I was on a, a reporting day the one day, eavesdropping. And one of the coaching staff was singing the praises of Mazat. 
Ozil to the rafters saying he was the best player he'd seen up close mm. in training. And this is a coach. This is someone that's with him every day. And because somebody on the same table sort of raised the question, you know, is his work rate a problem? Is it that he, you know, he's too lazy? And he went, anyone who thinks that isn't, isn't across what Meza Erzl's about. That isn't the sort of player he is. But if you look at his technical skill and, and all of these other factors that he brings to, to Arsenal, he said he's one of the best players he's ever seen. Do you know, if it wasn't you, Lindsay, I'd, I'd nominate that for Didn't Happen of the Year award because that's such a perfect <laughs> conversation to eavesdrop on. You no, know, I, I did, I yeah. was there and two Arsenal staff members <laughs> walked in one set. Was one of the <laughs> Arsenal staff members Meza Ozil? No, I don't, I don't think the other one was a staff member. The one was because oh, right, he was okay. fully kitted up. But I think he'd met maybe with some friends mm-hmm. and they were just asking different bits. But yeah, I was, I was there for some hours. They know me well in that cafe. Do they? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't lean in and join, join the conversation? I felt like I had my Premier League jacket on, so oh, it was enough right. of a warning yeah. to say, you know, I'm sat on the next table if I want to listen. Uh, well, <laughs> salute to you, uh, whoever you are. Wonder Cafe regulars. A couple of quick other things on the Liverpool-Arsenal game. Uh, I enjoyed Martinelli fouling Harvey Elliott for a penalty. Uh, Martinelli's 18, Harvey Elliott's 16. The man who took the penalties, James Milner, who's put very, their ages together. Very oh. nearly thirty-four. He's only thirty-three. That very was, nearly. Yeah, oh. not quite. So close sometimes. And you might remember last year we revealed that um, Harvey Elliott was uh, slightly older than the first ever cloned horse. Um, and I posited that that horse is probably now dead. I've since found out the horse is fine. Well, how do you know? Is it the original horse or the cloned horse? The, the yeah, uh, but which one is well, fine? Well, no, the one that was cloned. It might just keep... No, it's totally fine. And it's since given birth to a healthy foal itself. Right. So, so th- Sorry, so this is the replica horse? Yeah. The replica <laughs> horse is still... And what's happened to the original? I don't know. Are you not bothered oh, about that? No. Glue. More about the uh, the fancy technological horse. But anyway, the horse is fine, and it's apparently given birth to a healthy horse. We haven't even discussed either, with with that slight distraction, the captaincy issue. I mean, we've just talked about Arsenal, and we haven't. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that later. Let's do because I know Lindsay, you haven't heard the draw for the quarterfinals yet. Took place at eight forty-five, as is traditional on the Zoe Ball Breakfast Show on Radio Two this Thursday morning. I can reveal that uh, Oxford, who put Sunderland out, they're going to be hosting Man City. Exactly, Everton. Who did Everton beat? Watford. They are going to be up against Leicester, who defeated... Burton. Brilliant. Colchester, who put out Crawley, get a trip to Old Trafford, Lindsay. Ooh. I saw this being described as a dream draw for Manchester United. I'm pretty sure that traditionally <laughs> it's... Well, yeah. yeah. Was somebody being funny? No, I think it was a genuine... <laughs> OK. Yeah. And Liverpool, fresh from their mm. penalty shootout win over Arsenal, are going to be going to Aston Villa, which may sound familiar... But that's probably because they're going to do that this weekend. Or are they? Because if they can't find a proper date for the quarterfinal, they may not play it at all. Mm. Uh, Patrick McGrath says if Liverpool are unable to play their Carabao Cup quarterfinal game, would they be allowed to choose the team that replaces them in the fixture? I'm not sure how. (laughs) Surely Villa would just get a a bye. A bye. Right. Okay. As you mentioned, Klopp with a bit of a rueful grin as they went through with that penalty shootout. We'll talk more about the other games perhaps in the course of the show. But up next, let's start looking forward to the Premier League weekend. And a question for you. What was number one, Lindsay, the last time Wolves beat Arsenal at home in the league? Oh, The answer after this. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power.
That's right. September 1979, Gary Newman, number one in the pop charts with Cars. Cars. Here's the stat you weren't expecting. Yeah, Gary Newman is older than Gary Oldman. <laughs> wow. 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 Just goes to show you, doesn't it? You wanted to talk about Shaka because that's what people have been talking about all this week, mm. especially after it was revealed that he's been offered counselling by the club. And this in Poppy Week. <laughs> I... <laughs> Um, I don't even know where to begin with this now. Uh, can I just say, first of all, that I have an element of sympathy with him. I mean, as, as a player, to be Me booed too. by your own yeah. fans mm. is pretty low in the list, isn't it? That must be an all-time... As all Wayne time. Rooney once said, pointed out in the World Cup. Yeah, oh. absolutely. So I do have some sympathy. However, I don't think he was the right choice. And For the captain? The captain, no. And, and I don't understand why... When other players are, are picking a player, are they going with who they like or are they going with who's going to be the better captain? It seems like he's got a lot of players in the team and teammates that really support him. Okay. And we've seen that come out on social media. And so um, he must be quite a likeable guy in the dressing room. But what player who was voting was thinking this is the best person to, to guide us through? And I think in all the responses that we've seen, someone like Hector Bellerin would have been a much better choice. Really? Yeah. I'm, uh, Captain's armband is just not something that bothers me that but much. This, but Arsenal are a weird club in that they, they really value kind of traditions. They fetishise. Yeah, and, and it's not a big thing. It shouldn't be a big thing. So but it is. he was offered counselling. The stories are that Torreira was in tears after the game, which is not how which, I think of Lucas Torreira Yeah, at all. which there was a close-up, wasn't there, of actually Bayerim with his arm around him, comforting really? him. Oh, yeah. that's rotten. I will say, Xhaka is national team captain. Mm. And if you're going to empower the players to pick one position in football, surely it's their, the leader and it's the person in charge of the, of the, of the locker room. Is, is it not? I mean, it's not really. I mean, we don't know what the machinations of what goes on at Arsenal, but he's been picked for a reason. Right. And you can't. I mean, a lot of the time when you see Xhaka and he's getting booked and he's making. and he's you know, trying to shoot from distance, but he's trying to lead the team by being committed. I right. mean, maybe perhaps selfishly and not thinking of the team as a whole, but there is a lot of the time sort of hell for leather kind of play that he displays. Well, it's interesting you mentioned shooting from long range because that is a frustration Arsenal fans have with Xhaka. But since the start of last season, he's had 29 shots from outside the box and scored three goals. Right. Ruben Nevers has had 83 shots right. from outside the box, three goals. So why aren't Wolves being Ruben Nevers? I mean, they're playing Arsenal at the Emirates this weekend. Yeah. And an Arsenal team, for all their exploits midweek, that does seem to be having one or two issues. Uh, Lacazette, what's this business about him liking an Instagram post that dissed the manager? Duncan, you're nodding. Do you know what this is about? Yeah, there was a one of the high-profile ranty Arsenal fans um, in, on Instagram. And yeah, Lacazette liked it, which is a kind of very modern football, subtle way to... You know, to show your displeasure is right. to like... Uh, it's very passive-aggressive, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. But I mean, the play, it's perfect for players as well because they can go, oh, no, I accidentally liked it, which can yeah. happen. I was going to say, we all know how, how easy that is. But it's not as though he's gone like three years back into history and sort of liked previous. That's when it starts getting a bit sort of, you know, creepy. But uh, he's just, you know... Just or like, telling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Wolves, Lindsay's, I hardly mm. need to tell you, have already beaten City and drawn with Leicester this season. Good against the top teams, less so against the weaker sides. So will Arsenal <laughs> fancy their chances? I think Arsenal will, and right. they should. Right. Um, there is one gaping hole now in the Wolves' defence, and it's bolly-shaped. I mean, he is incredible for us. Um, the, the news out of the club is that he's just had surgery on this left fibula um, and getting him back as quickly as possible is imperative because I think at the back, there are some serious question marks. Um, Vallejo, for me, at the moment, isn't 
at the races. Um, I think there's still work to do there, certainly from a, a Premier League starter point of view. What Nuno tends to do more often is bring Saïs into into the back three um, and using Cody, who's who's always going to be there as captain and has played pretty much every minute of every game. Um, and Bennett. Now, I just feel that there is weaknesses there. When when Bolly isn't in defence, especially if Arsenal um, have someone like Ozil in midfield and actually Emery does go with him, I think they will be able to pick out those passes and get in behind that Wolves defence. I'm a little bit concerned from that point of view. Um, and also it comes off the back as well of, you know, League Cup action. We've also been having Europa League um, and it's something that Arsenal are more familiar with than we are so I think that Wolves are struggling on that point of view and it's like you said earlier Anton about that system um, there will be a couple or two or three changes that Nuno will make and he'll expect people to slot in but he's also having to navigate around the fact that he hasn't got Bolly there are certain players that he's not going to have um, and it makes it more difficult because it's quite You're a short it's a pretty terrific run of formula is he unbeaten in eight before this week's uh, cup defeat to, to Villa and some yeah, some important wins in there, not least the victory at the Etihad. Oh yeah, and, and that was a, an incredible week, you know, winning in Europe, winning at the Etihad, and many people saying that that distance and, and all the travel would have an impact, and it didn't. And I think a lot of the team have come out and said, we can cope with Europe and the Premier League. Maybe throwing the League Cup in as well might be a bit much. Right. And then again, with players getting injured, and that happens this time of year, I do wonder about the Christmas fixtures. There's a lot for everybody to take in, but Wolves have got a particularly short squad. Was there something that happened around about the end of September when you went from that really rotten run of form at the start of the, the, start of the season to this unbeaten run? Well, I remember being at Molyneux and speaking to some of the players at the time and they were really sure and confident that it would click. So I think it is just that belief in that system and knowing that it will come good. There wasn't any panic. Matt Doherty in particular was one of those that was like, we're not panicking. But yeah, it wasn't too long ago, go before the Manchester City result, mm. that actually people were saying, Wolves, you know, flirting with relegation. Yeah. Can they cope with Europe as well? It's got to be consistent. And yeah, you know, wins are needed in order to lift back up into the top top half of the table, which is where I think that they will feel more secure. Is it going to be another famous away win for Wolves this weekend, Anton? Uh, no, I don't think so. But then you look at Burnt Leno's made the most saves in the Premier League this season. I mean, that's a stat in itself that should give Wolves optimism going into the Emirates. Right, OK. Uh, we're going to talk about more of the weekend's action after this. Jose Mourinho here. Let me tell you a thing or two about special. An 18-year career at the top of football management, that's special. League titles in every country I've worked, that's special. What isn't special is winning the daily jackpot on Paddy Power Games. That's right, Jose. Yes, someone wins an average £40,000 jackpot every single day. So if you win, don't think you're special. No respect. Get over it. Daily jackpots by Paddy Power Games. Jackpots must be awarded by 11pm and vary from day to day. Jackpot is shared with other operators. Available on selected games. T's and C's at paddypower.com. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Top two, everybody, and an interesting League Cup Premier League interface here as Liverpool this weekend go to Villa Park, where they may or may not be heading in the quarter-final of the League Cup. Man City host Saints, who they've just played in the fourth round. A match this, that in Premier League terms, is between the highest scorers in the Premier League with 32, and the team that have conceded the most, 25 for Saints. What are those numbers going to be come Saturday tea time? Duncan? 14-2. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Right. Um, 
Uh, I think City will win comfortably. I mean, there, you often get a situation where if a team's play twice in a week, then you know you get one team win one one match and vice versa. But Not really, this I, time. I can't see that happening. Um, for me, I mean, Kevin De Bruyne can set a new record if he gets to ten assists, be the fastest player in a season to get to double figures. Beating wow. Ozil, is that? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, obviously this Henri 2002-03 record of 20 in the season has stood for a long time and Ozil got close and De Bruyne himself has, has got close, but it really does feel that if he doesn't get a proper injury, that he is going to smash it this year. Is the other big question, is Aguero going to play? Because that was one of the things I was keeping an eye on, was that, of course, he, he did get time in the League Cup, scored two goals mm. um, in that game against Southampton in the fourth round. So is he going to get more time against them or is he going to be on the bench for it? I don't know, but I must admit, with City, it almost doesn't matter who they play. They'll just go. It was 6-1 when Southampton went last season. It kind of feels like whoever Pep puts out. Think it's the other thing as well like that. is that as you just pointed out, Aguero scored twice in the League Cup. City's commitment to actually playing good players in the League Cup, which is what years ago people were like, oh, I wish big teams would play their proper players. City really do. They love the League Cup. Right. I mean, I know does, a, does it have a bit of a feel of like Michael Owen taking penalties against 14 years? <laughs> a little bit. Well, I know a few Oxford fans who were now, they were really annoyed to get City because they were like, well, well, there's no chance we're going to beat them because they're going to play 10 internationals and Phil Foden and, and win comfortably. <laughs> so... Yeah. By the way, uh, Anton, you may know this. Will Saints have stayed up in Manchester all week from their Wednesday night clash? Or no. will they have gone home and then back up again? They're back. Ralph, Ralph Hassan Hussle is back in Southampton at the moment. Okay. So, um, yeah, it's a lot of uh, a lot of running around, but that's kind of what the players did the other night, isn't it? Didn't really didn't really work. Before anyone gets too carried away and thinks, oh, I'll go and put I don't know a nice little flutter on, perhaps half a dozen or more goals. Yeah. And my warning would be, I don't think that's going to happen here. Right. I think Man City will win, and I think they will win comfortably, but I don't think they'll get to five, six, seven goals. Why is that? Because I think Hazen Hootles had to learn a, a lesson the harsh way, mm. which was that they still went chasing after the match against. <laughs> yeah, don't <laughs> let in nine goals. But against Leicester, it's that they, he didn't adjust after conceding right. too very quickly. Did he adjust midweek? Then? Yes, he did, and that what was the thing do? that I noticed. Um, if you, they narrowed it down, and in in defence, it meant that they were they were higher, a higher line which they were very, very deep against Leicester and trying to get that quick counter-attacking move going. And it just wasn't working. Then they were getting stung by it every single time. Whereas I felt like it was it was definitely better with this high-line defence, um, keeping narrower. And they'll try and restrict City a little bit more. I, I, I think that City are going to win this, absolutely. But I don't think it will be 9-0 like, like Leicester. Very interesting. As for Liverpool, they're off to Villa Park. And last time they went there, they won 6-0. That was September 2016. Were you, did you manage to see much of Villa beating Wolves? Were you impressed with them, Lindsay? I was I was flicking over occasionally, but I wasn't really that bothered, to be honest, really? whether we went through. I, I know that every single fan would say, oh, it's all about the trophy and if you mm. can get a good run in the League Cup and it's Villa. But actually, you, I feel that... What do you get for the... Do you get Europa League place for League Cup? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> so do. we might as well do well in the Europa League this season, which we're in, haven't we? Right, yeah. We might as well go for it. And that that is my assessment of it, is as a Wolves fan, I want us to keep going strong in the Europa League. We're doing brilliantly. Uh -huh. Let's get as far as we can in that and not have too many other distractions. And let's finish in a reasonable place where we don't have palpitations as Wolves fans in the Premier League. Right. As for Villa, uh, this looks like quite a tricky fixture, Anton, eh? 
Well, yeah, I mean, it's this could be quite an attractive fixture. Mm. I think two teams that obviously like to play nice football, put the ball on the deck. I mean, McGinn's got 32 shots this season, which is up there with Salah and Firmino in itself. So it's it, it, this could be a really interesting fixture. But I mean, this is, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because I think Villa are getting a lot of plaudits for the way they play football. But they're 15th. Let's be, let's be brutally honest. They've lost as half, half as many games they've played this season. They're so. only four points behind uh, Crystal Palace in sixth. I mean, it's really tight the middle of the, yeah, the table. Yeah, and it's still early, interesting obviously. That, interesting that you mentioned McGinn, because I actually think that other teams have kept him quiet recently. I think he had that little spell, and that now he's being kept quiet. I actually think it's Jack Grealish that's going to be the biggest yeah. threat. Right, so yeah... Grealish, if he recovers from this injury, is that's the big thing for me. I mean, look, just to back up Anton's point about the um, entertainer, I mean, th- this is going to have some of the most creative players in the Premier League in, in this game. If we look at the sequences, so, you know, passing sequences that lead to shots, um, McGinn and Grealish are third and fourth in the Premier League this season behind... In terms of...? Being involved in sequences okay, that then right. end in, in shots. Uh, De Bruyne and Sterling are the top two, unsurprisingly. Um, and then Trent Alexander-Arnold is, is fifth. Really? Okay. Um, similarly, Grealish is the highest non-Man City player in sequences in terms of XG value. Salah and Firmino are just after him. So, you know, I think this does have the potential to be a really open, entertaining game. And, you know, as we said, the last time it ended 6-0 to Liverpool, I don't think, to back up Lindsay's point about City, I don't think it'd be 6-0 to Liverpool, but it could easily be kind of 4-2. Five three, something like that. The reverse of that is you see how hard Tyro Mings is working. A top of headed clearances, way out in front of the number of block shots with twenty three this season, and that's seven more than any other defender in the in the Premier League. Wow. So I mean they they really work the defence hard and Liverpool may well take advantage of that. And I think this is actually a really, really key game for Liverpool because if you think they are playing next week Man City at home. So if they go into that game with a six point lead, whatever happens in that match they'll still be top. If they slipped up in this match, you know, that game could then see City um, coming very close to them or overtaking them on goal difference. So I think this is, is a big game. Big, big game. And a game that they'll be facing without Joel Matip. How long is he going to be out for, Anton? About two or three weeks. I think OK, all right then. Now, on the trail of the top two are Leicester and Chelsea, separated by goal difference alone. Sunday, the Foxes are at Selhurst Park, while Chelsea visit Vicarage Road. Tea time on Saturday. Perfect time, really, to go to Vicarage Road, isn't it? Uh, we'll talk about those fixtures and more after this. Listener, Palace taking on Leicester Sunday at two o'clock, and Lindsay's got some important news about the Foxes. I don't know whether it's important news. I've got something to say about Leicester anyway, and in particular Tielemans. All right. So anybody who watched Good Morning Britain when I was on with Jason Cundy, it went a little bit viral because he he mentioned about female commentators. I don't know whether anyone remembers this. I prefer to hear a male voice when watching football. For 90 minutes of hearing a high-pitched tone isn't really what I'd like to hear. And when there's a moment of drama, as there often is in football... That moment, actually, I think needs to be done with a slightly lower voice. Yeah, that was Jason Cundy talking about Vicky Sparks alongside you on the sofa of Good Morning Britain. I didn't really get much of a word in, but as your, you could hear. your sideways glances spoke volumes, <laughs> they did, I felt. They there. did speak volumes. And, of course, Piers Morgan went for his jugular, shall we say. Um, and I know that Jason felt very, very bad about that. And I've got a lot of time for Jason. I like him a lot. Mm. But I am going to disagree with him again. <laughs> I obviously disagreed with him there. Um, I don't know whether anyone heard his points about Tielemans. And he said that he didn't really rate him as much at the moment as what everyone else has been going on about. Um, He said, look, I'd take James Madison every day. I'm not saying that I would disagree with that point because I think Madison has been brilliant. But I think Tielemans is a player to watch. I think that he 
is one of the emerging players in the Premier League. And the more that he settles in under Brendan Rodgers, I think that he'll go to... If he, if Leicester Lindsay, don't cement themselves as a top six yeah. team, he'll go to a top six team. Right. I think he's very I think, good. I think that's pretty much the consensus on Tielemans. Jason Candy accepted. I think he's too high up the pitch. That was a candy reference. Oh, the pitch. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah, the high See pitch. High, sorry. high pitch. Eventually saw what you did there. Right. Yeah, takes takes a moment yeah. sometimes. I'm, I'm hearing, I'm hearing on that uh, interesting but not desperately relevant uh, thing about Jason Cundy and the, and the female commentators that he is uh, a massive opera fan. I didn't know that about yeah, him. Yeah, apparently he goes every week. According to producer Ben, he's married to an opera singer. Oh, he goes every week. Well, yeah, apparently, and so he, he's used to that high-pitched tone. Well, or he's you know, a proper right across fan. the scale. He's a oh, he goes home and away. <laughs> yeah, um, We've got Palermo away at the weekend. Verona, tricky fixture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, right. Well, so Tielemans, yes. Duncan, you were just joking. Yeah. He's fine where he is, uh, and he is looking absolutely sensational, isn't he? What a signing. Anyway, Palace are taking on Leicester this Sunday, featuring you'd, you'd have to think. Yuri Tillemans and uh, Lindsay you're not finished are you you want to tell us about Palace only because for the offside rule exclusive that we've got out this week I went and sat down with Bobby Zamora and did a big chat and he brought up Roy Hodgson which I thought was interesting because he said that the thing with Roy as a coach is it's very mundane and repetitive but you know exactly what you have to do. They drill you to within an inch of your life. All of the modern day footballers that I've spoken to tend to want more variety. And you think, well, is that going to even work still anymore? And he went, absolutely. He's not going to have changed how he does this at all. Um, so and he's still there every day with a barn yeah. door and, and Ben Teke saying, no. <laughs> <laughs> Try again, Christian. Speaking to Hodgson in the pre-season, um, when obviously there was a lot of... A lot of uh, Stories surrounding Wilfred Zahar and who they've got up front. Roy Hodgson was just annoyed about the fact that he didn't have any defenders he wanted. Right. He was, that's what he was concerned about going into the season. It was his defence. Not Was this nec- before Gary Cahill arrived? This, yeah, just before Gary Cahill arrived. But he was concerned about you know the lack of options at fullback as well right. as centre-half as well. He wasn't looking further forward. He's, mm. he's, you know, they, they are sixth in the league, but they've got a goal difference of minus two. You know, this isn't, you know, Roy Hodgson isn't, 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 I'm not saying he's not concerned, but he's, he's got a way of playing football and it's start at the back. And why haven't people worked this out then yet? You know, if, you, if you're saying that this is, you know, what he's been paddling around since his Fulham days, which is what Bobby was saying, why aren't other managers well, tapping well, into this? it's effective. It'll get you, there was a really good stat a few years ago about how basically Roy Hodgson's win percentage was exactly the same at Fulham, at West Brom, at Liverpool. The point is that at Liverpool that was nowhere near good enough, but a lot of the clubs like Palace, West Brom, Fulham, mm. it's fine. Do you want um, to hear a good win percentage for Palace? Four out of four in their last four fixtures uh, with Leicester, with an aggregate score of 13 goals for and only one conceded. Well, also, with Leicester, obviously they're coming off the famous 9-0 win from last week, but I had a look at how teams did after scoring nine or more goals in history. Weirdly, it's 166, drawn 36, lost 64. So they're almost as likely to lose the next game after scoring a hatful than they are to win. And you wonder whether that's because, you know, it's a bit after the Lord measure. Exactly, all that sort of stuff. I mean, the the two most recent famous examples, Liverpool beat Palace 9-0, then drew 0-0 in Norwich in the next game at home. Uh, Man United, when they beat Ipswich 9-0, they won 1-0 at Wimbledon. um, And Spurs uh, drew 1-1 at Villa after they beat Wigan 9-1. So, you know... Leicester could easily come unstuck. Fascinating. Leicester, of course, who are looking absolutely terrific, not least because of that wonderful win away at Southampton last Friday. 
Chelsea, who are currently level with Leicester, but behind on goal difference, are going to be at Watford. Chelsea got beaten midweek by Man United at home. Now, you had half an eye on this one, Anton. Yeah, I was, I was kind of double screening last night, but obviously one game was uh, always going to dominate. Right. Um, I was surprised by the strength of the lineups for both teams, Manchester United and, and Chelsea last night. Um, and Chelsea had a poor first half, but were pretty good in the second half. And Batshuayi sort of, you know, looks threatening, but still, you know, isn't the player that I think people want him to be. Hulisic wasn't on quite as top form as he has been in the last couple of weeks, but it was still promising. Chelsea weren't bad by any stretch of the imagination against Manchester United. And as we've said with, with other teams, being out of the League Cup isn't necessarily a bad thing. Mm. And they've got Ajax coming up next week as well. So they've yeah. got some big games, especially considering they're in a tough Champions League group. It was a slightly a Paris Saint-Germain away performance from Manchester United. They had three shots on target in the whole match, one of which was Rashford's penalty, one of which was Rashford's admittedly superb free kick. Right. Um, but it's not a kind of waves of attack, United are back sort of approach. I see. How did you rate Rashford's goal in comparison with some of the other special, special set pieces uh, this midweek? It was brilliant. I mean, it's been actually quite a while since we've seen a knuckleball finish um, go in. It kind of backs up that point earlier about last night was just a load of goals from FIFA rather than real football because <laughs> it swerved all over the place. Yeah. But Rashford does take a lot of free it kicks. Swerved like Ashley Cole getting contract news. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I was at the Norwich match where his penalty got saved, Tim Krul. We won't talk about whether he was off his line or not for both of the penalties that he saved, becoming the first goalkeeper to save two penalties in one half, wasn't he, Tim right. Krul? Um, but the way that Rashford reacted afterwards and scored pretty much within a few minutes um, to get to that get that goal, and that is the the part of his play that I enjoy is that he just does not give up. Um, and and if anything doesn't go his way, then he works so hard and tirelessly to get back in the match to create those opportunities. And as a United fan, I would say that he has to be up there as one of your your top three players. Definitely. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah, I think well, so. Well, it's his birthday today, so let's oh, be right, nice about it. Let's be nice. Yeah. Who would you have, uh, you who mean would you have of, above him as yeah, top from three? What, is it as in performers or Performers at Man United. Oh, yeah, no, yeah he, he, he works really hard, but you've got to remember, Marcus Rashford got paid Aguero money in the summer in a new contract. He should be one of the top three performers at Manchester United this season. He's not the young kid who we've all hoped for. He's supposed to be performing week in, week out. United are relying on him to perform week in, week out. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has seen the deficiencies in his game and moved him sort of this kind of inside-left kind of position to give him the freedom to develop him because he knows now that he isn't the striker that people thought he was going to be. Now, he may well develop into that central role. He's still very young. But, you know, Rashford, yeah, Rashford's getting paid like a, like a top three player. And, and at the moment, Martial's been out. I think Martial had been fit. I'd put him ahead of Rashford. Well, I think the two of them, I think they've got a brilliant link-up. And I think that, that they're in tune with each other and that yeah, they're they, going to be Yeah, they look key. wonderful together. Yes. And they both scored, actually, uh, last season in the game at Bournemouth, which is where they're going to be this weekend. So that, that may well... I know you want to talk about Bournemouth as well, don't you, Lindsay? Oh, only because I, I've been down there this week. Have you? Um, I was speaking to Harry Wilson and Callum Wilson. Right. Um, um, Callum Wilson and Joshua King, the interesting ones in that, because um, 2015, you might remember Bournemouth's first season in the Premier League. Uh, they beat Manchester United 2-1. Callum Wilson didn't play in that match. He was in the stands quite frustrated watching on because he wanted to be part of it. But Joshua King scoring the winner there. Um, nine of the players for Bournemouth that were in that starting 11 are still in the Bournemouth squad. Really? So I think it goes to show that if you integrate players, you talk about transfer windows coming up, but I think Eddie Howe has been quite clever in the way that he's integrated new players in 
and Harry Wilson was talking about it because he's obviously one of the newer ones and he scored for Derby against Man United. So Callum Wilson scored for for Bournemouth against Man United last season. Right. Wilson scored for Derby, said it's the, the career highlight for him so Scoring far. against Man United. And if you remember his... Um, his celebration because he's on loan from Liverpool at Bournemouth for those that haven't forgotten that and he's a a Liverpool fan he put the five up didn't he because at that time they had five European Cups part of the celebration so whether he's got to get his other hand out this time if he scores a free kick or something When you went down to Bournemouth were they aware of the fact that they're going down at the end of this season as per Matt Davis-Adams in Monday's pod? I have to say there aren't many times when when I'm sipping in the car as I'm listening to the podcast that I want to spit out whatever was in my mouth Again an Ashley Cole moment (laughs) (laughs) What? Was Matt Davis Adams on about Bournemouth are not going down? They and the reason being is that they have too many goals in that team. Well, I know that they Didn't haven't score scored for the recent Norwich. games, but they've got they, they will. They, it will come good. I mean, they've got Callum Wilson, Joshua King, Harry Wilson scoring free kicks. There's there's goals all over. I will say, in defence of my boy Matt Davis Adams, he argued his point quite well, which is players haven't developed. Mm. under Eddie Howe at Bournemouth, which I think is a very pertinent point. I haven't really thought about it. He's kind of right. Other than really Ryan Fraser, who was out of the, has been out of the team because of the contract situation, really, and only come back and still hasn't had the impact he did last season, who's really mm. you know, kicked on as a player? But is that an argument to say they go down? No, like, I, I, I but perhaps but don't if, disagree if you, with that. If you can't, if you can't see down. individual growth in the players, then the team isn't going to kick on from where it is. And if teams don't develop, then they go backwards, effectively, because other teams may well catch up. So I can see his point, which is a, a poor run of form, and Bournemouth might be right back down there. And if they've stopped scoring, which is what you know, they've been known for, which is the reason they've been no, in the table, when, then I can see where, when I can they see stopped where it's coming scoring, from. they kept clean sheets, and they still got points. I mean, yeah, theoretically, if they draw every game for the rest of the season, nil-nil, they'll stay up. So. <laughs> Eddie Howe's philosophy laid bare there. It could happen. All right, well, Man United, possibly it won't as United visit, although they hadn't been particularly good on the road. Eight league games without a win prior to that 3-1 victory, uh, which could have been more, obviously, if the penalties had gone in at Norwich last time out. We were halfway through discussing Chelsea and their chances away at Watford. Will Pulisic play again or is he going to be sent back to a subs role? Based on nothing at all, I'd say Hudson-Odoi will get will get the nod for this one. Uh, I th- kind of think the other way around simply Do because you? I think Hudson-Odoi will get the nod against Ajax. But who's to say? If you want to talk about good form on the road, Chelsea have won their last four away from home in the Premier League, netting at least three goals each time. That's incredible. Last time, Duncan, someone did that five times in a row. I bet you know who and when, it was Everton in December 1927 on their way to that league title. Dixie Dean. There you go. Will Chelsea play Dixie? No, they won't. Um, yeah, but I mean, I think the other thing to point out is that a lot of those wins, like at Wolves, at Burnley, the home team has scored fairly easily as well. And only right. the bottom three have conceded more goals than Chelsea. Yeah, so that's him. They are playing Watford. I mean, Watford is surely... I mean, if Watford don't win this game, it'll be their longest run without but a win. But Watford don't score goals. That is the problem. And mm. Kike Sanchez-Flores doesn't set up teams to score goals. And last week, they didn't really have a centre-forward on the pitch because they no. played Pereira and they played Delafeo up front. So they will be set up to try to defend and contain Chelsea. I think we already know what kind of game this is going to be. Yeah, you know, I, Isaac's success off. was back in training last week. I was there at open training and I would imagine that he's potentially an option. I don't think that will thrill Watford fans at all. Um, Andre Gray works hard, but I've seen him miss some sitters this season. Um, Gerard Delefeu, um, who was... 24, go- 24 shots without scoring this season. Mm. And, and he was given that more advanced role under Javi Gracia. And he does get in 
the in the right places. I just don't think that he's clinically enough. He's not a striker to me. I think he was better in that role that he had slightly deeper before and on the wing. Um, so whether whether Sanchez Flores ends up deploying him out there again, but. Who to? Who who would he provide to? I mean, for me, the one thing with Watford is what's happened to Abdullah Dekore? What I mean, he and was... Capu, yeah, both I mean... of them. I think they were key. But, I mean, Capu isn't in the team at the moment. Where you know, Dekore yeah. was this sort of magnificent box-to-box midfielder that you know was contributing going forward as well as at the back. And his form's just fallen off a cliff. And it's obviously, you know, the, the way they're set up at the moment is five at the back and just please keep the ball out of the net and then we let's see if we can nick a goal. But he was linked with Paris Saint. You need to join Paris Saint Germain last January. This is a, a player that's well thought of by big clubs who seems to be regressing, which is a which is a huge blow for Watford. Mm. Paris Saint Germain do have an interesting, an eclectic mix of players. You have your Neymars, but you also have Chuba Motings, and then they'll they'll bring in a, a, a Drissa Gay, and and and, 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 and to great effect. Um, right. So, but instead he's still at Vicarage Road. He is still at Vicarage Road. Uh, mm. uh, Nor- uh, Watford have got Norwich, Burnley, and Southampton after this. Which I presume, you know, they're looking further down the line to try to get their points. Just for me, I think they'll just, like I said, just set up, try to defend, get through this game, and then focus on the next run. Right. They need Ben Foster to be in the sort of form he was last week. They need Troy Deeney to get on the field. Yeah. yeah. All right. Loads of other things to discuss, not least funny mascot talk. It's all coming up on this Totally Football Show. Duncan, we're sharing bunk beds. You, me, Michael Cox, and Julian Laurence, and producer Ben. Yeah, that, well, that's five people in. Five, well, yeah, we're going to have two or three bunk beds. Very high ceilings. Fine. Uh, this is on our incredible tour coming up actually next week, which caught me by surprise. Uh, we're heading to Dublin on Friday the 8th, and then Belfast on Saturday the 9th of November. A smoother journey than it could have been, I think. Yeah, well, and hopefully we'll remain so. Liberty Hall is the venue in Dublin. Belfast Limelight clearly is in Belfast uh, and that's on the 9th and go and see if there's any tickets left by heading to thetotallyfootballshow.com slash events because producer Ben says there's a magnificent Sony tablet to be won each night courtesy of our friends at Football Manager so that's nice eh? there'll be all sorts of other uh, hilarious chat and insightful repartee uh, oh speaking of which and fresh from thetotallyfootballshow.com Nick Miller joins us now Nick, yeah, Nick, as I hardly need to point out, it's the 31st of October, a day that has been long awaited by many in this country because Mm. it delivers something great for our nation in the shape of your book, Dance Like Everybody's Watching, exclamation mark, subtitle. The weird and wonderful world of sporting mascots. Right, brilliant. And that's published literally today. Literally today, yeah, you can buy it now. Right. And it looks great. Would you mind handing it over? Sure, yeah. Fantastic. Yes, indeed. It's stocking sized. Uh, Nick, just how weird and wonderful is the world of mascots? Uh, Very weird, sometimes terrifying. As I was showing around in the office earlier on a picture of a mascot called the King Cake Baby, which looks... uh, I recommend you... Is it scarier than the Japanese fish that ingests people? Well, it depends. It kind of King Cake Babies is, is the sort of stuff of childhood nightmares. More so than the Partick Thistle one. Yes. Yeah, I think so. Right. Yeah. Do you have a picture there? Uh, King Cake Baby. Let's find it. King Cake Baby. Why is Great. the mascot called King Cake Baby? Well, it's named after a, a little toy that apparently you can find in donuts in um, New Orleans, which seems like a choking hazard. 
it's basically a sort of life-size version. Of oh, my Bert. word. That's really... Oh, that's disgusting. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. Oh, I don't like that. Listen, that if you want to see, if you want to be disgusted by that picture too, nip down to a... Or, or go online and, and order a copy of, of Nick's book, which also features all sorts of other things. What was your favourite chapter to do in the book, Nick? Uh, I think the... Uh, bit about mascots fighting oh that's uh, that's always very entertaining like well there was a famous one between cyril the swan was the, the old swansea mascot and uh, zampa the millwall lion and there was another one involving what provoked it um well cyril the swan was quite the provocateur he used to you know go to opposition crowds and he needed to wind, wind his neck in a bit <laughs> he yeah. very much did need to yeah. wind his neck did in. he ruffle some feathers yeah. <laughs> i mean yeah. more of these you can keep going all day with these no, no, right, sorry anyway there was, and Harry the, the Hornet was involved in some, wasn't he, as well? Uh, he was, and there is a, a, an exclusive interview with Harry Ooh, the Hornet. Really? Oh. As well. does yeah. he, what does he reveal in that, then? Well, uh, he, or, or just all about why he, he, he is how he is. Did people typically don the, the, the mantle of, say, Harry the Hornet or Thingy Swan? Cyril. Cyril Swan. <laughs> for years and years and years, and then hand it down, you know, generation. Or was it something that, you know, you pitch up and this week you're on Swan duty? No, the, the, the guy who was Cyril Swan for a while was a guy called Eddie Dunn who um, was, was the swan for quite a long time. Okay. And then he, his antics got a bit too much and the oh, club really? uh, quietly pushed him out. So what happened when he had his run-in with the Millwall Lion? Uh, they had a dust-up on the pitch. I think people were arrested. Are they troubled men? Well, I don't think so. No, they just enjoy fun. You know? Right. Have you spoken to the guy who is Gunasaurus? Because I see him pre-costume and post-costume. Oh, whenever wow. I'm saying Gunasaurus is a guy? Gunasaurus is a man. Whoa, I don't whoa, want to reveal whoa. his identity, but I know him quite well. And oh. that actually that actually presents problems, as in, you know, you've met them a few times. Right. And then when they put the Gunasaurus outfit on and, and you're pitch side and you're doing something to camera and he just decides to stand next to you for ages. Are you, are you the like, Lois Lane of Gunasaurus as well? <laughs> Lois Lane. <laughs> I had to just do a piece to camera where he was just stood next to me. So in the end, I just brought him in and did it with him there. I mean, but obviously a mascot can't talk. So interesting TV. So when you when you see Gunasaurus, do you say, oh, all right, Steve? Or, <laughs> or is, he, is he transformed into Gunasaurus in your mind? Yeah. Well, for anyone who ever, if they spot me in a reporter seat by yeah. the dugout, yeah. all I will reveal is that the man that is Gunasaurus never sits too far away from me. In his costume? No, oh. he takes his costume off. The is man. It's, Je it's Jeff Reeves. <laughs> <laughs> What's a revelation. Wow. What's your favourite mascot, Anton? There is one in the States and called the Montgomery Biscuits. And so, you know, in the, in the is States... Is a sponsored thing? No, no, well, no, it's, they claim it's where the, the what we call a scone, they call a biscuit. Oh, yeah. Is actually, so yeah, that, yeah. Their baseball team is named the Montgomery Biscuits. Oh. Uh, and their mascot is a big scone so with, with you... bacon as a tongue. When you, that's yeah. really messed up. On a scone, right. no, but you don't you mix savoury and sweet. I mean, no. but that's the thing. They're, they are. It's a. It's a. It's a breakfast staple. It's a savoury-based snack in the uh, in the states, isn't it? A, a biscuit. So in Montgomery, every week, groups of twenty-two men gather to play the biscuit game. <laughs> <laughs> in a car park somewhere, dodgy probably. Yeah, that's remarkable, isn't it? Brilliant. All right, are the best mascots in the states? Or are we holding our own over here? Yeah, well, you know, we've we've got Harry the Hornet, we've got yep. the Kingsley, of course, the Partick Thistle yep. nightmare. Um, there are Gunnosaurus, who's I don't know what it is about the here, best but... thing about Gunnosaurus, and we're getting to that time of year often as well, is that um, when there's a sombre pre-match moment at a game, and the Arsenal players and the opposition are stood around the centre circle with their heads bowed, and you see Gunnosaurus also with his head bowed, it's very, very touching. Go, go, funny, go, go. funny you should mention that, Duncan. There is also a section in the book uh, about mascots observing minute silences. 
He was Godosaurus was designed by uh, an eleven year old boy really in the nineties. He has a part backstory. Of a, I love that. Yeah, yeah. It was part of a competition. Uh, sort of in the sort of late nineties, I think it was designed by eleven year old boy. Sent in a picture, and then when the eleven year old boy grew up and became a man, got married. Gonosaurus showed up at his wedding. No way. Is way. he still that's getting royalties beautiful. from that invention? I don't think so, no. no. That's, no. A, that's a Pixar short movie, that, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Or a children's See? book. Heartwarming. Gonosaurus. Yeah. If you design Gonosaurus, he'll show up at your wedding. Please, please don't leave. I don't want to talk about Norwich. I want to talk about this instead. This is <laughs> Why? way more interesting. But you know what? Uh, the great news is, Anton, you can hear this and more in Nick's book, etc. and so on. Now, I actually really look forward to reading that. Mm. Uh, it, there's a brilliant cover as well. So you'll impress people you know, public transport, if you pull that out mm. and crack it open. <laughs> what, um, what, what? And also the book. <laughs> How much is it? Uh, well, RRP is nine ninety nine. Brilliant. Excellent. In the meantime, when you haven't been preparing that, you've been busy on the totallyfootballshow.com website. Mm. What's up on that at the moment? Uh, well, there's a piece uh, from the, uh, inspired by the European edition of the podcast on uh, Tuesday. Oh, yeah. It's about Antonio Conte at Inter. There is a piece about Carlin Grant his, uh, from the Football League show. Uh, it's ripping it up at Huddersfield currently. And uh, just gone up today is a piece about how teams recover from significant gubbings. Oh, like, right. Uh, Southampton. A la Southampton. Yeah. Yeah, because Duncan was saying before that teams who score a lot of goals often find that they come up, they're a little bit flat in the next fixture. Mm. What happens to teams who conceded buckets? Well, it, again, it is quite varied. Some of them kind of recover. Uh, Nottingham Forest, where, where after they lost 8-1 to Manchester United, only won one more game before they're relegated. Oh. And it can it, it really can sort of ruin careers. The guy who was in goal for Crystal Palace when they lost 9-0 to Liverpool kind of didn't really pl- ever play again. Perry Bigweed? Perry Suckling. Perry Suckling. He never, never really played again for Crystal Palace. Yeah. Who's Perry Big Bigweed? <laughs> Digweed. Dig, it's not That's, much better. There was a Digweed. I don't think it was. <laughs> don't think that was Perry. Got my Perry's all over. But yeah. No, Perry Digweed. He's an Digweed. English perform, former professional footballer who played as a goalkeeper for Fulham, Brighton, Chelsea, Wimbledon, and Watford. This name could seamlessly move us into Snodgrass, who went, I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> after, after retiring from football, Digweed went on to appear alongside Vinnie Jones in the film Mean Machine. Stop saying Digweed like it's normal. It's not, <laughs> it's not normal. It's funny. Damn. Just his um, name. All right. Just his name. Nice one. It will best of luck with all of that. And uh, drop by thetotallyfootballshow.com for more. Nick Miller there with Dance Like Everybody's Watching. So, from Digweed, Lindsay, to... Robert Snodgrass, as West Ham take on Newcastle this weekend, a Saturday at three o'clock. Uh, Anton, you've been to talk to Robert Snodgrass, haven't you? Yeah. Uh, Did I, he? Because we, I remember the famous story about him. Sorry, you were going to say something way more relevant. No, I was going to say, I had kind of had, this is going to sound awful, I had misconceptions about what Robert Snodgrass was going to be like. Why? Because on the pitch, he's kind of, you know, quite a forthright kind of player and mm. He's a lovely, genteel, chatty man mm. um, that speaks very eloquently mm-hmm. um, and is already doing his coaching badges and wants to go into coaching. And that's kind of he's already looking at the next stage of his career. Really? How old is he? Uh, he's about 30, I think. Mm. Is he? Yeah. Um, and one thing that seems to be always on his mind is where he's come from. He quite often talks about how he would have been you know, working with the, some of his mates and you know, as a brickie and that right. kind of thing back uh, back in Scotland. So. He just, yes, yeah, just seemed, you know, when you just He's meet, grounded, is Basically, he? yes. Yeah. But, I mean, it speaks very well about Steve Clark as well, about how he, you know, and which a very, very challenging type for Scotland, and yet a big defender, and he went into tactical reasons why. It was just really, very, genuinely an interesting guy. Did you ask him, there's some kind of curious 
career uh, details with him. One, it says on his wiki page that while he was at Livingston, he turned down a trial with Barcelona. Is yeah, that true? I don't necessarily think so. Oh, okay. Um, what about the business that when he was on loan at Villa, he used to drive up and down the motorway and all he would eat was Haribo and KFC? He, uh, he said that you know he's a lot more... Um, sophisticated, shall we say, now when it comes to uh, career choices. I think maybe a, a little bit more grown up, but he absolutely adored his time. In fact, time at Villa was crucial for his career. Sadly, Robert Snodgrass is not the top scoring player in Premier League history with the word grass in his surname, or the letters oh. from the word grass in his surname. Oh, the letters mm. from the word grass. Okay. Do you want the top six? Yes, please. Yeah, yeah. Because he's seventh. Uh, Oli Golasolskjaer in first place, then Chris Armstrong, then Chess Fabregas, Morton Gamps Pedersen, Sean Wright Phillips, and Gabriel Jesus. Wow. <laughs> well, Chris Armstrong scored more than Oli Golasolskjaer. No, Solskjaer's top. Oh, oh right, I see. Top yeah. of the round. I was going to say mm. that that was mind blowing, but no, it's not true. So you were talking to him to mark his return to the team after that well, lengthy absence. Effectively, yeah, it was, uh, before, just before that game, but. Uh, they were basically West Ham went out to sign his replacement in the oh. summer, and and this this was this was the interesting thing. West Ham's recruitment this season was building a creative, free flowing front four, effectively three creative players and Sebastian Allaire, who will probably get as many assists as he will goals, you know, for any team he plays in, really, because he's under that kind of player. I'm a big, big Allaire fan, but it's fascinating by how much of West Ham when they play well goes through Manuel Lanzini he drops in form and he was you know dropped from the from the lineup last week West Ham struggled even though Yarmolenko's in decent form mm. and you know you, they should be able to figure out how to play Felipe Anderson Manuel Lanzini Andre Yarmolenko you know they've got Snodgrass they've got Pablo Fornals so they've signed but really they're really struggling to kind of get that dynamic and West Ham were one of those teams, I think there were four teams really outside of the sort of traditional top six. We had Leicester, he had Everton, he had yeah. Wolves, and he had West Ham. The and people said at the start of the season might crack the top six exactly. or even higher. And two of those teams have kind of, you know, staggered a little bit with Everton really struggling and yeah. Wolves at the beginning of the season. West Ham, you know, we all thought we're gonna we're gonna really flourish. And they've struggled to adapt to this to this new you know, new lineup, and they have they've struggled with the balance of attack and defence. And I think it surprised a lot of people. And actually I think if they are as consistent as they are now for the rest of the season, mm. I think there will be pressure on, on the manager by the end of the season. Because they haven't they, won in five now. Is they, it four in the league and that defeat to Oxford in, in the League Cup? They've spent big. They've spent big on wages. And, you know, this they've got a, a high-caliber European manager yeah. who is supposed to get them into the promised land. And right. at the moment, it isn't really happening. No. We spoke earlier about Xhaka and mm-hmm. how he was booed by his own fans. And, you know, where is his confidence right now, his self-belief? Where is he going to come from next? Robert Snodgrass, everyone forgets, his own owners, David Sullivan and David Gold, said that they didn't really want to sign him. And I think the fact that he's managed to come through and have such an impact on, on team performances recently, he's deserving of that start last week and how a player can pick themselves up from that I, I, I don't know I mean I, I've, I felt that it was wholly unprofessional at the time that they'd said that they're going to be taking on Newcastle this weekend which is a, a fixture ripe with possibilities for getting their their win percentage back on track a little bit although it could see them up against their former striker Andy Carroll although he's 50-50 after straining something, I believe. <laughs> uh, Almiron standing... By the s- way, we are waiting with what? bated breath for that to happen because the Offside Rule exclusives we do, we're waiting for Andy Carroll, but we've been told he needs to play first. Oh, right. So we're waiting for him. And then maybe we'll get to speak to him. OK. I bet he'd be a fascinating, yeah. a fascinating subject. Other delights coming up this weekend include Everton taking on Spurs. Uh, do you remember this game last season at Goodison? Theo Walcott opened the scoring 
And Spurs then roared back to win 6-2. Mm. Remarkable stuff. Yeah, it was kind of at the time when Spurs were very good away from home and everyone kind of just went, yeah, that, that's to be expected. And they've barely won away since. Wow. So, um, Everton obviously then went to Burnley and the next game was called five. That's pretty rare recovery scenes. Yeah. Pochettino, who's reverted to the classic Spurs lineup of late, will he get a classic Spurs away win, do you think, Duncan? I think the good thing about this game is that whoever loses will be plunged into crisis, so we get more narrative. Okay. Draw it is. There we go. So, uh, well, Everton only two points and two places above the bottom three at the moment. Spurs with a little bit more breathing room up in 11th. Brighton, meantime, take on one of the denizens of the uh, the relegation zone. Norwich, Saturday, three o'clock, in what is an avian derby, of course. Mm. Uh, they last faced each other in the top flight a long time ago. Lindsay, May 1983, when Norwich won 2-1. Norwich, who did beat City, but have only picked up one point from the five games since then. And we hear Tim Krull, whose exploits were such a part of last weekend's clash with Man United, may have hurt his knee. He played with injury for a good 10 or so minutes towards right. the end of that game, and they'd used all substitutes. And there was another injury as well. Um, and the player escapes me at the moment. Of, of he, he went down towards the end as well. It, it's a, a clubbing crisis when it comes to injuries. Mm. I also thought players like Campwell didn't impress me. I thought he was at fault for a couple of things um, when I was watching on Sunday. And um, that little pizzazz that they had at the start of the season has flickered out. I think the flame is very low at the moment oh, at dear. Norwich. And I think Brighton's is is on fire. So I think Brighton will... will Brighton's Win lost this. two home games. They put three past Spurs and, and then against Everton as well. It's quite interesting to compare the two teams because if you think Brighton came up and they were very defensive and it was like we just need to get to 36 points, whatever, grind our way to that and then let's kind of establish ourselves in the Premier League. Norwich have come in with a different approach, which is we're just going to carry on playing open football. It's served us well. You know, they will get the odd headline win like against Manchester City, but it doesn't really seem like a, a good long-term yeah, yeah, Notch got a lot of praise. Stuart Webber, the um, sports director, got a lot of praise for his loyal and economical approach to, to you know going into the summer and going into the season. But now it looks like it could be what described as naive, maybe maybe even cheap. You know, the way the way they've gone about their business because you know this they rewarded the players that got them there, but they went into the season with injury problems and they were relying on a backline of a of a 19 year old and two 21 year olds in that back four and then someone else to, to supplement them and now they're playing a, a centre midfielder at, in Amadou at, at centre back they're playing still relying on Alexander Tete who's gone down with Norwich previously there's you know there were a lot of holes in that squad going into the season a lot of question marks going into that going into the season that weren't addressed because of the face and because of what they've done but maybe not a lot of pragmatism I think around the maybe mm. the approach that we're seeing now from Norwich and you say yeah they, they look great at the beginning of the season but and there's not as you just referred to Lindsay there really isn't much when you watch them week at the moment now going oh there you go there's there's something to get positive and optimistic about no you you can't see where that win's going to come from and i would have said that perhaps five games ago they would have looked at Brighton away and thought right that's it whereas now I, I actually think they'll be going there thinking we'll be lucky if we get a point All right good point Lindsay uh, Duncan on the subject of Cruel and his save penalties uh, we asked on Monday what the record was for saving spot kicks over the, over a season what's the answer uh, well Cruel's halfway there because it's four oh. uh, which has been done by Mark Crossley in 1988 who people might remember is also the only man to save a Matthew Letizia penalty in the <laughs> Premier League not in that season um, Brad Friedel in 0607 and Ali Al Habsi, 
who wasn't the best goalie but was quite good at saving penalties good. in 2011-12. Very nice, very nice. Sheffield United are facing Burnley Saturday at 3 o'clock. Uh, Duncan, again, you have something, I think, statistically well, relevant to this our, fixture. Our friend Daniel Story, who's often in Sheffield, as we know, mm. can barely keep away. He, he messaged me from Sheffield this week um, asking whether the fact that Sheffield United's games this season average 1.7 goals in, in total you know, for both teams mm. um, is that low. It seems low. And the answer is it is very low. It's, um, if that carries on, it would be the lowest ever in the Premier League season. In terms of goals home and away? Total goals per game, yeah. So Sorry, one, not home and away, but yeah, yeah. four and against, rather. So, yeah, I mean, they're playing Burnley as well. So, if you, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. it, this could be a, a low-scoring match. Right. OK, but no less fascinating. For all that... Uh, good we'll be looking back on that fixture and all the others of course when we come back on Monday with the Totally Football Show very shortly we'll be having a quick word about MLS what on earth was going on in Naples midweek Messi's craziness and that kind of thing first though let's get some Premier League odds with producer Ben and Paddy Bauer surprise surprise listeners I'm on the line with Lee Price from Paddy Power as usual Lee what a fantastic midweek round of League Cup games. But we're going to talk about the Premier League now. Man City beat Southampton 3-1, but I feel there's going to be more goals in this one at the weekend. What are the odds on there being five or more, please? <laughs> well, they didn't quite achieve it in the week, did they? But perhaps the league is more important than the League Cup for Pep. Perhaps. Uh, City are 1-12 to win this one, with Southampton a huge 20-1. I say huge, but I'm still not remotely tempted by it. As for the goal fest, we do fancy it. It's just 7-5 to five that there are 5 or more goals in this fixture. Or you can get 3-1 to one on 6 or more goals. City are odds-on to score at least 3 times. Everton v Spurs is Sky's pick for the Super Sunday. Give us some markets on this one, please. <laughs> well, this is a totally unfair thing to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. This is the Crisis Club derby, and perhaps Everton are ready to hand the baton over to Tottenham. But it won't be this weekend they do that, according to our odds. Spurs are the favourites here at 7-5, to with Everton just behind them in the betting at 17-10. to The draw, which would help neither side, and is therefore probably what's going to happen, is 12-5. to And finally, Newcastle versus West Ham. Is Andy Carroll going to be the man here? Well, we're not convinced he's going to play, so at the time of recording, he's not in our goalscorer market. But I tell you who is... Dwight Gale, remember him? He's 9-4 to four to score any time, as it looks like he could be brought in from the cold amid an injury crisis at St James's Park. Uh, as for the match itself, West Ham odds on to win this, 5-6. to six. Newcastle, 3-1. to one. They haven't won a lot, have they, this season? The draw, 13-5. to five. You can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only, terms and conditions apply, and when the fun stops stop. Lindsay, you've got an offside rule coming up, uh, well, I think probably out now, is it? Uh, the Bob- Bobby Zamora one, is that? Bobby Zamora will be out tomorrow out on tomorrow. Friday. What, do you want to just tease us with something that he says apart from what Roy Hodgson gets up, gets up to in training? So he actually reveals one of his biggest regrets, a top two team at the moment that he nearly joined. He nearly joined. I, um, I was asked to audition for the Big Breakfast were you? Yeah. Um, when, what, what era was this? When it, it was, was when Roslin. No, it was the original lineup, and and uh, who was the original? It was um, um, when Paul, Paula Yates was on the bed, wasn't she? Mm. Back then, in the original. Mark Lamar. Well, it would have been '96. Who would that Chris have been? Evans. Chris Evans. So it was Chris. He was away on holiday, and they said, uh, "Would you come by and do a screen test?" And I went, <gasps> "No, I'm on holiday." It was during the summer. I went, "No, I'm not." I'm not. James, what were you doing? No, I think I was probably right. We could be sat here right now next to Zig and Zag. 
<laughs> I've been called worse. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Good. So that's Bobby Zamora. That's what sparked all of that. That's on the offside <laughs> yes. rule. What happened in Europe this week? Did anybody see? Do you see Messi's two goals and two assists as Barcelona destroyed Real Valladolid? I saw, I saw Lucien Favre. Did anyone see this? The Dortmund... Oh, the Pokal game, the, yeah, the Borussia Derby. Yeah, so they, they've uh, got the winner. Julian Brandt's got ahead of 2-1, 10 minutes to go. Lucien Favre goes to set off down the touchline for celebration. Looks like he pulled his hamstring. No. Yeah, I mean, it's, it shouldn't laugh. It's quite funny. Is it? It's quite funny, sorry. Poor chap. Anyway, yeah, so they go through in, in the Pokal. Uh, in terms of league action, there was quite a lot of uh, midweek league action. Barcelona going back on top of the table with that phenomenal performance from Messi. Not just the goals and the assists, that incredible free kick. Also the wonderful... I mean, there was a series of nutmegs, I think, from him in that game, but one in particular... Yeah, he's good. He's um, Barcelona started winning since he came back from injury. It's a mysterious uh, <laughs> algorithm that no one can work out. He's now scored eight direct free kicks since the start of last season, which right. is twice as many in the top five leagues as any other club. What? Yeah. It was he's like, scored eight free, direct free kicks? Yeah, since the start and of last season. no club has had more than four? Correct. Wow. A Granada could go back on top of La Liga this evening when they uh, play at Getafe. We talk about Granada and their extraordinary uh, start to the season. Newly promoted side in uh, the last edition of the well, the Tuesday edition, effectively the Totally Football Show, which in which we go all continental. Uh, there's uh, been a full round of City A with Romelu Lukaku scoring a brilliant goal for Inter to keep them right behind Juve at the top of the City A table. Those two, Juve and uh, and Inter, now opening up a little bit of a lead over Napoli after they were held to a 2 2 draw by Atalanta. Much controversy at the end of this game. It was 2 uh, 1 to Napoli, and Lorente gets. Do you remember the challenge that Gunduzi does at the end of the, uh, the game on Sunday against Liverpool? Yeah. 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 Well, effectively, uh, Sami Chiara does, does that to Lorente. And Lorente just goes over on his backside and, and just sits there going, Referee, where's my pen? But Atalanta bomb up the other end and score and now it's 2-2 so Napoli are not having any of this because they're saying well what the hell you need to bring that back VAR and, and all this because that was a clear penalty they then produce a replay that shows that Lorente's elbow goes in on Chiara as, as Chiara's coming towards him which to be honest I'm completely confused about Where does that mean that it wouldn't be a penalty because he, he effectively pushes him out of the way as the ball's coming in Chiara does yeah it. that means that it wouldn't be yeah so no so Lorente's elbow goes in on Chiara as Chiara's arriving to push him out of the way of the ball so should that be a penalty or not which incident happened first yeah I was just going to say that well I suppose that uh, that the elbow came in on Chiara before Chiara arrived on but it was only because Chiara was diving in on him Lorente essentially throws his elbow out to stop you can't, him you can't retaliate in anyway in everyone gets sent off in that game Napoli assistant manager Ancelotti as well and it finishes 2-2 all very exciting Napoli have the the Derby del Sud against Roma this weekend there's also the Turin derby there's also Milan Lazio loads of action coming up in Serie A MLS has now got its finalists of the MLS Cup it has it will be the Seattle Sounders against uh, Toronto um, after both the uh, both the home teams lost Atlanta lost uh, to Toronto uh, last night after taking the lead. Uh, two fantastic goals, the winning goal coming from uh, Nick DeLeon. And uh, yes, Seattle Sounders, much to the, much to the annoyance of uh, Bob Bradley and LAFC, going to the West Coast and winning. So, yeah, it should be a fascinating final. And it's going to be at their own home ground, Seattle, yeah? Do you know, the, the, their manager is Brian Schmetzer. Mm -hmm. Do you know who the assistant manager is I do for not. the Sounders? I'll give you a clue. He's a former Champions League winner. He made 88 appearances for Liverpool. He also played for Lens, 
Marseille and Monaco. Jimmy Traore. It is Jimmy Traore. Wow. Good knowledge, Anton. There you go. So when's that? That's on the 10th of November in Seattle. They'll be taking on Toronto. Seattle crowd are pretty raucous as well. Right. That's CenturyLink's fantastic stadium. It's the the loudest NFL stadium. Right. So, uh, yeah, so it it should be a bit of a belter, that one. Should be a belter, particularly on their home turf with Sammy the Sounder, the Seattle Sounders... Uh, mascot. Yeah, it's not s- not scary as uh, what they have at Portland Timbers. They have the guy with the chainsaw, oh, with the chainsaw. don't they? Yeah. yeah, which of course brings other associations in kind of American culture. Sammy the Sounder, very much a soccer-loving whale, so... Of course, how <laughs> silly of me. So that's... You know, because they sound, don't they? Yes. Whales. Yes, they when do. they When they surface and blow, mm. that's Through sounding. their blowhole. Through yeah. their... Yeah. I didn't know that. Sounding is such a uh, versatile word. Uh, to sound, I am sounding like sort of a presenter right now. I could be <laughs> testing the depth of water; that would be sounding. Were I a whale and surfacing and blowing out through my blowhole, that would be sounding as well. <laughs> and a particular stretch of water might be described as a sound. And equally, if I was if I was viewed as a reliable person, you might say that I'm sound. sound. I'm enjoying sound. So I think it's my favourite word now. Yeah, it's my favourite word now. Are there other are there other uses of the word sound, listener? Let us know at the Totally Football Show, and we'll be sure to feature those next week. For now, though, it's many many thanks to Lindsay, to Anton, and to Duncan for a broad ranging and fascinating uh, hour or so of debate about football things. Thank you, listener, for being part of it as well. And uh, there'll be more of this kind of thing on Monday when we return with the Toby Football Show. Do have yourselves a wonderful weekend. In the meanwhile, listen to The Offside Rule when that pops up on Friday. And uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. <laughs>